visitors today. So we're in, we've been in a series of teachings. We're talking about leadership in the early church and why our church is structured, why our local community, local expression is structured the way that it is. So we've been talking about um, fivefold leadership. That sounds really loud. I don't know if that's too loud for everybody, but. Um, so we've been talking about fivefold ministers of the gospel, which I'm not going to give you all the answers because we are going to do a review. But before we go to the review, um, I did want to hit on just quickly that last slide from last week because we had a birthday and everyone was so excited when we saw the cake and I think we missed it. So I just want to make sure we didn't miss it because <laughs> um, this is an important part, evangelists versus apostles. Um, and if, you know, for those of you, this is your first time coming, the other messages are online if you want to catch up and kind of see where we've been going. Yeah, because we rushed this part. I have just little reminders in case I forget what I'm about to say. So some key differences between evangelists and apostles, because they can seem very similar, right? They're preaching the gospel. Apostles are preaching the gospels. The gospel, one gospel. Apostles always work to establish. Okay, that's a very key point and a big difference between apostles and evangelists from Ephesians 4. Uh, which many times begins with preaching the gospel. I remember even when Tom, uh, Pastor Tom and I came here and things were transitioning, a lot was happening. We started by, well, we talked about Nehemiah for a long time, but then we started in on the gospel, making sure that everybody had a right understanding of what the gospel is because there's a lot of different gospels being preached. Uh, in the name of Jesus, right, that aren't the true gospel, that carry a lot of legalism and condemnation or false grace on the other side. So we even, you know, as an apostolic overseer coming in, we wanted to build rightly where you're laying the foundation of a gospel, the true gospel, you're preaching the gospel to those that are believers, but might have a skewed understanding of what the gospel is, right? That, I mean, all of us have seen that. I've seen that in some of my friends who have gone off into false gospels which is what we've talked about before. So, but apostles always work to establish evangelists' primary work is to spread a net, okay? They're, we talked about Billy Graham and Reinhard Bonnke, right? These are Ephesians 4 evangelists that are gifted and graced millions, and for Billy Graham, billions of people, <laughs> billions, how crazy in his lifetime of ministry that's not your just average Joe person preaching the gospel on the street, right? That's definitely a special gift and grace that he was given by God. And he was not focused on establishing churches. We didn't see Billy Graham or even Reinhard Bonnke going around saying, okay, now let me establish this church community. No, they were driven by one focus, which was to preach the gospel. Um, and they weren't even necessarily gifted to establish unless they had both gifts but rather winning souls and then equipping and inspiring the body to do the same. So many believers have been inspired by these big names. And then there's others, like I shared, David Van Fleet from Street Life Ministries or Chio Pedro from Brazil, who's a national level uh, minister of the gospel evangelist. And he's inspired and taught so many people, so many churches how to go to the streets and reach the lost, reach the unreachable. The, for Chio, it's the women who prostitute themselves, the drug addicts, the worst, most dangerous places in the country. And he inspires churches. He says, come with me, I'll go. I'll take you. Uh, so that's that's a, their primary work. Apostles evangelize, but we don't see evangelists establishing, like I just explained. The only person called an evangelist, like a minister of the gospel, in the Bible is Philip, who started as a deacon. He was one of those seven men in Acts chapter 6. He was not the disciple who became an apostle. Disciple Philip becomes apostle Philip. This is a different Philip. He was um, the deacon. And then many, many scholars would consider the apostles evangelists, but none of them are called evangelists. I just want to make that distinction. You might read that other places. The reason why they call them evangelists is because they preached the gospel everywhere they went. You read about Paul, you read about Peter. They're preaching the gospel everywhere they go. So many scholars say they're evangelists. 
I would differ with that opinion because of this whole teaching. I would say they're evangelizing as part of their gift as apostles. That's how I view it. Philip was an evangelist. Difference there. And then all are called to evangelize. Not all are evangelists. So again, we can't say, oh, well, uh, I'll leave the evangelizing up to David or Chio or, you know, Billy Graham or Ryan Arbonke. No, we don't leave it up to other people who are called. We're all called to evangelize, but we're not all ministers of the gospel evangelists, like a, a leadership role in the church of an evangelist, right? Does that make sense? All right, cool. So let's, we're moving on to the review. So how do you know when something is normative, meaning for all churches and every culture and era until Christ returns? There's a pattern and one more thing. <laughs> now we can't answer this every week, guys. <laughs> she got the first part. We see a pattern and then it's taught about. Okay? Remember that. It's very important because of the, um, being able to explain why you believe what you believe. I'm teaching this, and I could explain this to anybody, any believer, any leader, even any scholar. I could say the reason why I believe that these ministries and these gifts are for today is because you see it's patterned all throughout the New Testament and the early church, meaning the several hundred years after the Bible was written, like uh, that church was continued on hundreds of years later. You see it patterned. And then in scripture, you see it taught about, clearly meant for all times. And that's a scholar, just um, scholars have decided that that's a way to make things normative. So when it's patterned in scripture and also taught about, elders, for instance, we see elders all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the church in Acts, and then it's taught about in a few places how to choose elders, who to position as an elder, to pursue being an elder. There's so much taught about it, also making it normative, meaning every church from the beginning of the church in the book of Acts all the way until Christ returns should have biblical elders according to Christ's design. Okay, now that, that seems harsh. It's not harsh. We're aligning ourselves with a biblical reality. We don't want to just be doing our own thing. It's like saying, I get to do my family however I want to do my family. No, Christ has a design for family. He has a design for church family. All right, who are ministers of the gospel? Yeah, who are they? The, what are the five gifts? Apostle, evangelist, prophet. Pastor, teacher. Awesome. Yay. You know those ones? <laughs> Are they normative roles for the church? Yes. Why? You see a pattern and? And it's taught. Yes. I, I did write these out because sometimes for me, hearing it and seeing it helps it get in my mind more. So maybe if you're reading it, it will help every single week because we're going to do this for a good bunch of weeks. <laughs> so what is their primary role, ministers of the gospel? What is their primary role? Establishing? Total, their big picture, yep. What's their role? What are they doing? All of them. Establishing is a big part. Preparing God's people for works of service, equipping, right? Building, sending. How do we know? How, where do we get this information? Where in the Bible? <laughs> Ephesians 4. Thank you. So their primary role is to equip the saints and bring the church to maturity and unity. Okay, that's from Ephesians 4. I encourage you to keep going into Ephesians 4, reading it over and over again, because this is where we get our information. Which leadership roles are sodal? MOGs, the ministers of the gospel. Why? Big picture. So they're looking at the, the global or the regional church. They're not just focused on, they're focused on local churches, but many local churches. 
right, and establishing churches and moving on and establishing churches and moving on. So that's sodal. Um, which leadership roles are modal? Deacons, elders, bishops, leading men and women. Why? Local, little C church. So elders, bishops, deacons, leading men and women because they're focused on the local church, individuals, family, and family of families, which is the church. We call it family of families. This is one big family made up of many little families, right? So these modal leaders are, are focused, their drive is to establish individuals, families. They wanna see healthy marriages. They wanna see healthy families. They wanna see people grounded in their faith, knowing why they believe what they believe, reaching their communities, but they're not moving from place to place doing this. They're staying, and as new people come in, they're continuing to do it, and their drive is for that. And whereas total people, their drive is to, let me get them as established as they can be, and let me go. <laughs> let me go someplace else and do it again, okay? What role do apostles have in the church? Equipping, teaching. Yep, they appoint leaders as well. They're, they're positioning leaders. So church planters, establishers, true biblical missionaries. So I want to take a second here. When I came back from the mission field, I had been overseas from 2005, or I'd been in mission from 2005 to 2012. No, 2005 to 2016. 15 is when I came home and got sick, right? A lot of you know that story. So 10 years in the mission field, I come back, I get sick, then I'm, I get healed, and I'm part of the Wyndham leadership team. And they're starting to discuss, okay, what, what role are you? What gift do you have, right? And so they're talking about it, and Sean, who many of you know is the founder of Crossing Life Churches, he says, I think you're an evangelist. You're clearly an evangelist. Like, you just go and you preach the gospel everywhere you go. Now, I had been part of missions that were fivefold evangelists. They were ministers of the gospel evangelists. David Van Fleet and Shield were the two people I served under, evangelists. So not weird that Sean would think that I was an evangelist, but he said, well, let's think about it. Let's see. As time went on, we realized that I was actually apostolic because as an apostle or apostolic overseer, yeah, I love to preach the gospel. I love to go to the lost, but what I do naturally is establish. If I come into a church community, like when I joined Wyndham, I immediately had to start establishing something. They made me in charge of the evangelism team because they thought I was an evangelist, but I didn't care because I could establish. I was going to come here, and initially we thought things would be different, and I thought, oh, well, I'll come and establish the kids' ministry. I'll come and establish the worship team. My whole focus, oh, it did not matter where or how or with what. I could work with kids, I could work with adults, I could do anything, but I had to be setting things in order, seeing people's gifts and positioning them. Big difference between being apostolic and evangelistic. Evangelistic or evangelist would be like, I need to go to the streets, come with me, get out of the church walls, let's go, like constantly. Which I love to do that, but that was not my primary thing. Does that make sense? So sometimes, I mean, Sean knew me well, and he thought I was something that we were just kind of feeling it out. So you've got to know and spend time and see what is your natural bent? What are you just naturally going towards all the time? Okay? What role do prophets have in the church? to where we were going. He is a minister of the gospel prophet. He might sense something, see something, hear something, feel something, and he will direct us as a community into that thing. He might stand up here and exhort for a while, teach, 
even. That's what a prophet is. And it's a leadership role that speaks to the life and establishment of the body. So his, as he's prophesying, he's seeing what, you know, what our role is as a community, what our role is in the region, and then he's inviting us into that, teaching us how to prophesy, teaching us how to use our gifts well. He did a whole series on it, right? And what role do evangelists have in the church? They spread a net. <laughs> to spread a net, equip and inspire the body to evangelize. Now, if you just, if, to help you get these things in your mind, think of Ephesians 4, where it says each of these gifts are meant to equip the saints for the work of service, right? So an apostle, they're establishing, and they're equipping people by making people established. Prophet, they're equipping people in prophecy, gifts of the spirit, the life of the body. Evangelist, evangelism, reaching the lost. You see, they're each doing, equipping the body for that work of service, because we're all called to evangelize. So it's kind of easy to see what each one does. All right, now we're going on to pastors. And this is, we're going to start with the misconceptions because like apostles, there's a ton of misconceptions about pastors. I think here people were like, well, who's the pastor here? Because our paradigm is in a church, there's one pastor and they're the leader and they make all the decisions and they are the one that speak and preach every Sunday. So they're the sole leader of the local church, preaches every Sunday that could be a topical teaching or a series or, you know, they're just teaching and preaching or might not have any, be any uh, big picture in mind. They could just be teaching to teach. It's fine. It's good. It's an old paradigm. They might meet with people going through a hard time, depending on the size of the church, right? If there's hundreds of people, the pastor probably won't meet with people. Someone else will. Um, they're the untouchable one once it gets big enough. There are churches with thousands of people, and the pastor is untouchable. They're like the, the golden star, and I'm not meaning that to sound terrible, but you see it in Brazil a lot. You see it in our nation a lot. There's a church in Brazil, 30,000 people. 30,000 people. Do you think one person can pastor 30,000 people? No, but they have one pastor who's the lead pastor, and he makes all the decisions, and he is a shining star. It's not how God designed it to be. They make all the decisions, or they're the face of all the decisions made by the board. So sometimes they're the one making all the decisions. They might have some controlling issues if that's happening, possibly. Or there's a board of people behind them making decisions, and that pastor better be aligned with it, or they might be fired very true. And I'm not saying this to sound harsh or judgmental. It is a reality of what's happened in the church in the Western world. Okay? And it's very sad. It's very far from what God has designed it to be. So they can be, and many times are voted in. So everyone votes, oh, this, this person's good. Let me vote them in. Or hired on. Oh, they're from seminary. They went to seminary at this place. That's a good one. Let's get them in here so we get good messages every week. I'm not even joking, that's how things work. It's not that they have any connection to the local body. A pastor many times will come in and it'll be the first time people are meeting them. I know that you can hire pastors from online. You can search online pastors for hire. Right, when we're learning God's design, that's more and more sounds crazy. Like what? That's not how it should be. That's not the way God designed it to be, right? And then they can be fired by the church members or the board, voted in, voted out. And this is like a business model. We've talked about this some, how the church has become more functioning like a business because it's easier that way than it is the biblical model, which really the biblical model causes us all to flourish. Everybody gets to walk in their role. And then lastly, they must have a seminary degree and be ordained to be that pastor, to be that one person. And we're going to talk about the biblical model for ordination in coming weeks for the end of this all because there is a biblical model for that. And it's not how we do it today. <laughs> surprise, surprise. All right, so we're diving in. Pastors, the Greek word is poimen. 
Koimen, shepherds in the church. That word in Greek literally means shepherds. Okay, they're shepherds in the church. Their role is to equip the pastoral care team. The pastoral care team are elders and bishops. We'll get to them in the coming weeks. But the pastor, the minister of the gospel pastor, is their role in the church is to equip elders and bishops to shepherd the community of believers. All right? And they, they do that by providing knowledge, understanding, uh, training, equipping. There's that E word again. Equip, equip, equip. They're doing it by equipping the elders and bishops to do that work. Now, Tom, Pastor Tom, the reason why we call him Pastor Tom is not the old paradigm uh, pastor. It's this new paradigm pastor. He is a minister of the gospel pastor, and he's just just recently started functioning in this role, right, in the, in the past few years. So he's growing and learning like we all are in this. But his, all that he desires to do, what he's going to do is equip. He's going to equip, train elders, deacon, uh, elders and bishops in the pastoral care. Anyone who knows him says he's pastoral. He gets, he'll be met by, when he spoke at his dad's memorial service, some prophetic guy came up to him afterwards and said, you must be a pastor. Are you a pastor? And I'm like, yeah. It's clearly his, the way that he communicates. Everything about him oozes this pastor. He's a great listener. He's very gentle. We're going to go into some of his role. But when you're thinking, when we're talking about this, think him. Okay, that's the role he has. John R.W. Scott notes, one should say that although every pastor must be a teacher, Gifted in the ministry of God's word to people, whether congregation or groups of individuals, like Sound Doctrine Group, not every Christian teacher is also a pastor. Touch on this in a little bit. Okay, teacher is next week. But not every Christian teacher is a pastor, pastor but every pastor should teach. Make sense? All right, Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11, this passage that we talk about all the time, is the only place in the New Testament where the noun, poimen, which means shepherd, is used as a title for a church leader. It's the only place. There's no other place. We do see a pattern, but we don't have an example like Philip, right? Philip was an example of an evangelist. We don't have a singular person who was called a pastor title. The only place it's used as a title is from Ephesians 4, okay? Um, the English word pastor is derived from the Latin word pastor, which means shepherd. So pastor, even in English, comes from the word that means shepherd. I'm going to read this thing and then break it down for you, okay? The absence, this is talking about what it says in the Greek. The absence of the article before teachers. So this is what it says in Greek. Tus, oh, I'm probably reading Greek. Tus de pomenas que didaskalos. Okay, so tus is some called, some as teachers, chi is and, some as teachers, I mean, some as shepherds and teachers. So it didn't say some as shepherds and some as teachers. It says some as shepherds and teachers. And there's a lot of controversy over this, the way that it is in the Greek because of that article in the verse suggests that the two articles are identical. That is, that the author may be thinking of pastors who teach and assume that teaching is the pastor's most important activity. So basically it's saying, because there was no article there, many scholars say that there aren't two roles, pastors and teachers. Okay, they say there's only four. It's not the fivefold, it's the fourfold. Literally, many scholars believe that because of the lack of that article there. It says some as pastors and teachers. They think that the author meant that pastors were supposed to teach and that that was their most important activity. Does that make sense? What this writer says, however, in Ephesians 2.20, apostles and prophets are also governed by just one article in the Greek, even though they form two separate groups. In other New Testament writings, the ministry of teacher is presented separately from other leaders as well. On this basis, it appears reasonable to think of these ministries as two separate groups, but with overlapping functions, rather than a rigid separation between the two. 
Does that make sense? So they're not, they're, they are two separate roles in the church, but because they're governed by one article, they have a lot of overlapping functions, just like apostles and prophets would. Okay? And we see that pattern through scripture. Apostles and prophets, often together, pastors and teachers, often together. So let's look at the pattern throughout scripture. Again, this is why every week we're doing the pattern and the teaching, right? To show you why we consider this a normative role, why we have this role in our church. All throughout the Bible, we see shepherds. Number one, we see shepherds that were just natural shepherds, right? They were shepherding sheep in the Old Testament. But this was all, the Old Testament was all to point towards what was to come. It was a foreshadow. It was to display what God had in mind for his church, for Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So you can look at so much through the Old Testament and see how it points towards what it was meant to be today. So in the Old Testament, we see that. And then there were also several prophetic words given as indictments against false shepherds in the Old Testament which were leaders in Israel. They were called shepherds because they were guarding and guiding the people. Here are the few of the many examples. So David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Remember, Psalm 23, 1, we all know this. The Lord is my shepherd. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. Psalms 28, Psalms 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. And then in Psalm 95, 703, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Right? It's, it's drawing these parallels all the time. As the people of God, we are sheep. We are his flock. And he is the great shepherd. The leaders of the people were also described as the shepherds of God's people, and the nation. Moses prayed in Numbers 27, 16 through 17, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep who have no shepherd. All right, so then, first place, God is shepherd. Second, he positions people from the beginning as shepherds over the sheep, over the flock, the people of God, to lead them out and in. And then later the Lord said to King David, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. The prophets also indicted the evil leaders as bad shepherds. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. And then Ezekiel 34 if you want to read something intense, open up to Ezekiel 34, because the whole chapter is a rebuke, an indictment against the wicked shepherds. It's pretty intense. And it says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? So there was a lot of, it, there was meant to be God, the great shepherd, our example, then shepherds, leaders, over the congregation to lead the people. And as we see, there were also false shepherds that popped their head in to try to lead people astray. Okay, we're gonna see the same pattern in the New Testament, pretty crazy. All throughout the Old Testament, that's the pattern. These, we're gonna touch on the false shepherds real quick because if there's, there's a lot about false shepherds, both Old Testament and New Testament. So if there's a lot about false shepherds, it's speaking something, right? Jude 1, these are, so they're talking about the leaders, these shepherds of the people. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, which was from Ezekiel 34, right? Waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. I don't mean to laugh, but can you imagine someone saying that today? <laughs> They'd be called, a, like they would be the one silenced. This is Jude, one of the brothers of Jesus. Well, they assumed he was one of the brothers of Jesus. 
and he was laying it on strong. Some of the, the observations, the false shepherds described by Jude were feeding themselves instead of the sheep. They undelivered, underdelivered on their promises, waterless clouds. They were subject to external influences, swept along by winds, right? So external things were happening. They were being swept along with it. They were not grounded. Uh, they failed to produce legitimate fruit over an extended period of time. Fruitless trees in late autumn. Does that make sense? They weren't producing fruit, not true shepherds. Fruit is a huge sign of true gifting. It's not the only sign, but it is a big sign. They were not truly regenerate, meaning they weren't really saved. Twice dead. That's what he means by that. Twice dead. You know, you, you get that? Twice dead, they're not really saved. We're not truly connected to Christ. They were uprooted. John 15, remember, if you're not attached to the vine, he cuts you off, you're uprooted, pulled out. We're forces of chaos, wild waves in the sea. It's chaos coming, going. Teachers of lawlessness and licentiousness. <laughs> I can't say this word. And that's casting up the foam of their own shame. And there's a lot of that in the New Testament. They were ultimately doomed to end demonic. Pretty harsh. Wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Yikes. And because they were leading God's people astray, this was the indict indictment against false shepherds. And then Jude has a little bit more to say. Let's look at it. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful de desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. We've got to remember, Jude is speaking to a church. He's writing a letter to a church community where there were false shepherds. It is not that, um, that rare to see false shepherds in churches leading people astray. And the Bible gives us some clarity on how to discern if someone's false or real. So such men were obviously not true believers, though they disguised themselves as such in order to profit off the people of God. Sickening. Very sickening. But it happens. Jude has a final word to say about these men. It is they who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. So false shepherds, pastors, false pastors, cause division in their own denomination or from other leaders within their own churches or networks because they not, do not wish to be known, corrected, or held accountable to any standard but their own orphan mentality. <laughs> so really, these, these leaders, and we've talked about this for the other thing, they avoid, they cause division, they're always talking negative about everybody else, this place is negative, that place is negative, never have a good word to say about anybody, and they're causing these rifts so that people only trust them, right, very manipulative, and they don't want to be held accountable to anybody, they don't want to have anyone, uh, any place for someone to speak into their lives, and that's what Jude was talking about, okay, to expose that type of leader. But then we look at the New Testament pattern for us to follow. Jesus is called the Good Shepherd. Now, can you imagine going from this false shepherd reality that Israel dealt with so long to the Good Shepherd? The contrast between what we just read about to the Good Shepherd who knows, guards, and cares for his sheep. And these are the scripture where that's found. He knows them, he guards them, and he cares for them. Later in the New Testament, the church regards Jesus as the great and chief shepherd. He is our example. He is the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the, the chief shepherd is how the church uh, spoke of him. And that this was prophesied in the Old Testament. It says in Isaiah 40, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. Contrast to the false shepherd who fed themselves, not the flock right? Which, just an example of that is, and, and I don't mean to poke buttons, or maybe I do, <laughs> but those that do things for monetary gain, they're feeding themselves. It's all about the money. It's all about themselves gaining. 
instead of feeding the flock, giving, pouring out, sacrificing, serving, right? Major contrast. And Jesus came to feed his flocks, right? Because we see never-ending source. He doesn't need anything from us. He's not looking for money. He came to give, to pour out. And he will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with the young. In Ezekiel 34, where that indictment is, it says, the Lord promises, I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them. Again, contrasting those that do not feed. My servant David, which is really speaking to Jesus, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. David, my servant, meaning in the lineage of David, which is Jesus, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. On several occasions, we're continuing in the pattern, the elders and bishops of the church are exhorted to be shepherds who oversee the flock of God. Now, I know this is a lot, we're like, zooming through so much stuff here false shepherds true shepherds jesus the shepherd right what we're just trying to see is this basic pattern through scripture so you don't have to remember all the details of those things we're just looking at the pattern old testament new testament but also the role of these ministers of the gospel of pastors if you remember we said their role is to equip elders and bishops the reason why Part of the role for elders and bishops, and we're going to dive into this later, is to shepherd the flock. Same exact calling. Same exact role. So they're exhorted to be shepherds who oversee the flock of God. They're exhorted to guard the flock from false teaching, false teachers, and hey, how about false shepherds? Same thing, right? And in these two passages, Acts 20... 27 through 37 in 1 Peter 5 2. I'm actually going to read Acts 20. The reason why, remember I said that only one place in the New Testament is that word used as a title. So we don't have a necessarily example where they say, oh, pastor so and so. It doesn't have that anywhere. But in both of these passages, in Acts 20 and 1 Peter, in Acts 20, we see Paul teaching the elders and bishops how to shepherd. That might show us that Paul could have been also pastor. If he wasn't fivefold pastor as well, or minister of the gospel pastor, he was high-functioning pastoral care. Okay? Because this, listen to what he says to this group of elders in Ephesus in Acts 20. He says, he's, he's about to leave them, and it's a very sad, he has he's spent a lot of time with them, he's, Verse 27, it says, For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things false shepherds, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold. Right? He's saying, I didn't feed myself. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Whoa, he's speaking right of the good shepherd who feeds the flock, who gives rather than receives, who pours out, whose whole purpose is to give and give and give some more. Welcome to leadership. <laughs> when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them, and they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul um, and repeatedly kissed him. There was this, he had spent three years with them exemplifying 
what it meant to be pastoral. He taught them, and this was his last admonition to them as elders and bishops. He said, shepherd the flock, follow my example. All right, so he's, you can't say, well, Paul definitely was a minister of the gospel pastor. We don't know that. But it looks like it from this passage. And then 1 Peter 5, verse 2, this is Peter now writing to many churches, but now he's speaking to elders. And he says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. So Peter was an apostle. That word is shepherd. Okay, let that blow your mind for a second. <laughs> Peter was an apostle. That was his primary calling from the beginning of the beginning of the church. Yet he says he's a fellow elder, shepherd. And he's speaking to the elders. Uh, fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. And listen to what he says here. And not for sordid gain. Not for money, not for yourself. Don't feed yourself, feed the sheep. Wow, from Old Testament to New Testament, the same exhortation to all the shepherds. Don't do it for money. Don't feed yourself, feed the sheep. Give, pour out. And not as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Verse four, when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now this is, I mean, pastors, elders, and bishops have an incredible, incredibly huge role in the church to reflect the great shepherd. And there's so much admonition for them in how to do that. But in Acts 20 and in 1 Peter 5, we see two apostles. Peter called himself an elder, a shepherd, exhorting groups of elders and telling them, teaching them, instructing them, equipping them because they were about to leave. Okay, so in my understanding of scripture, seems to me like they are Ephesians 4 type pastors as well, as apostles. And they're equipping the saints, they're equipping the elders to leave, for them to leave, saying, shepherd, follow my example, do what I did, okay? So we see this office of a pastor, or this leadership role, a special gift and grace from God, who trains and equips elders and bishops to pastor or shepherd the flock of God. So then there are three positions of leadership in the church who shepherd. First, the Ephesians 4 pastor. The only reason why that is first is because they have a greater scope of responsibility, right? And they're not going to stay forever in one place. They're training and equipping elders and bishops to do the role, to shepherd the flock so that they can leave and do it again someplace else. Elders and bishops stay and continue to shepherd. Does that make sense? Second elders, they have the next greater uh, sphere of responsibility and then bishops have the third level of responsibility which we'll discuss in later weeks and then we see that all of us are called to pastoral care okay let's look at the inscription it says they're exhorted to care for one another bear one another's burdens and encourage build up teach and admonish one another so just like we talked about for evangelists, are we all called to evangelize? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not all called evangelists, but we're all called to evangelize. Are we all shepherds in the church? Leadership role shepherds? No. Are we all called to be pastoral? Yes this care for one another. Think of a shepherd with sheep. He's caring.
caring for and guarding and protecting. He has the utmost concern for the sheep. In fact, his whole life, a real shepherd, his whole life revolves around the sheep. The time he wakes up to the time he goes to bed. Everything he does in his day is to care for the sheep, to make sure that they're healthy, that they last, that they're guarded, right? To lead them, to pasture them, to lead them out to where they can be fed. That's a different level of responsibility. The elders, bishops, and then minister of the gospel um, leaders have, pastors have, in shepherding the flock. So what is the pastor's, the minister of the gospel pastor role? Their role is to shepherd, right? To teach, to nurture, care, give guidance and counsel, and equip the pastoral care team, which are elders and bishops. We don't have bishops yet here. We have elders. Stu and Christy Greener are the elders in the home. In this home, when I say that, the elders in the, the home. But Tom, Pastor Tom, you feel free to call him Pastor Tom because he's a true pastor in the minister of the gospel sense of the word, where he's going to be developing as we grow as a community. He's going to be developing with Stu primarily the elders and bishops of this house. Okay? They're going to work together to develop that team. That's exciting. We have people positioned already to do this, to equip the saints. So exciting. And these are the main things that they're doing. They're shepherding the family. So, so Pastor Tom, he provides care or counsel to any, any that might need as well as our elders. But we're going to get to that later, so I'm not going to focus on that right now. He, as him, as a fivefold, as a minister of the gospel pastor, he's shepherding this flock. He's here to listen, to counsel, to guide. He leads sound doctrine groups. That's teaching. That's instructing. That's grounding people in their faith. And then he's going to focus on equipping the, these pastoral care teams that we're going to develop in the years to come. Right? I think that's it, guys. So good. Does anyone have questions? I know it's a lot. Every week is a lot. But is it get? Is, is everyone getting it? Feel clear? All right. So I just want to remind. So I'm. We don't have to call me Apostle Wesley. We'll come up with a different name. That just sounds weird. But I'm Apostolic Overseer. Right. That's what I'm doing here. That's what I, my role is. That's what I'm working towards. Is to establish a community. Tom, Pastor Tom, he's, a, he's the five-fold minister of the gospel pastor that is going to be working towards that development. Joseph is a prophet in the house. He's developing and helping to orchestrate the gifts of the Spirit in our community. And we're all working together. As we move on, I'll share the others. But we're all working together as a senior leadership team in our roles to establish this church family. And make sure that everybody has a place and is using their gift and is functioning in their role and walking out their ministry, fulfilling their calling. And it's exciting to do that as a team. We're excited for every person that God has placed in this family because we see so much gift and ability and strength and development that can happen. We're preparing for harvest. We are truly preparing for harvest. And that's why we're, we're doing this so that Anyone here could, could, that we all understand very well, if a new person comes in and they say, who's the leader here? You might know how to answer. Instead of being like, a good question. I don't know. Sometimes they lead, sometimes they lead, sometimes we have like 10 people up front leading. No, now you're starting to understand the roles. Who's, who's leading what part of this development? Does that make sense? And, and right now, Apostolic Overseer has, I just have the, the biggest realm of responsibility out of all the roles. That's all that means. And then every role has, ministers of the gospel just have bigger realms of responsibility because they're training more people and looking at the big picture. So we're not, it's not structured as a hierarchy. That's not how we roll here. And that's not how they rolled in the Bible either. Right? That's not how it was. 
So we want everybody just as we're continuing on next week, we're going to talk about teachers. Then we're going into the modal leaders, which is exciting. I want you to be thinking, praying about, asking the Holy Spirit, what is, what is my role? What is my gift? What, you know, from Joseph's messages before, which talked about the gifts of the Spirit, that everybody has something. Everybody has a gift of the Spirit. You want to be asking the Lord, what is your gift? But then also praying, what's my role in the church? What's my calling? What is God called me for, created me for, whether in the local church or the global church? How do I fit in? Because we as a leadership team, we're praying about that for this community. We're also discussing it. And I hope that makes nobody feel like, oh no. You know, if you've had bad church experiences, you often think like, oh, the leaders are, they said my name in a meeting must be bad. <laughs> that's an orphan mindset. And that comes from some past experiences. It can happen. That's not who we are here. We're discussing to position people in their gifts and calling. It's exciting. You have leaders here who care about you, who care about your development, and care about seeing you walk in your gifting and walk in your calling as part of this church community. Really awesome. So, Father, we thank you so much for today. You're a wonderful God. And I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you teach us and you instruct us and you're helping us to understand the design for your family. And I pray, Father, for each one here, for our whole community, that this would sink deep into our hearts, that we could truly understand, to understand your way, to understand your design, to understand our role, to understand what you're doing. And Father, that even this week you would give um, understanding to each person here, each individual, what their gift is, what their role is, what their ministry and calling is. I pray, Father, that you would just open eyes to see it, that we would continue, we could continue positioning people and developing and equipping for the work of service so that you would be glorified in the earth, that you would be glorified in the earth and through your family. In Jesus' name. Amen.